0: Hello to all of you. I'm Anthony Scaramucci and welcome to my podcast, which we're calling TMI, The Motivation Inside. I hope this will be one fun and productive listening ride for all of you today. The reason I'm doing TMI is to share with you the many faces of success and wealth because let's face it, it ain't pretty. I also want to let you in on how I got here because it's important to understand we all have greatness inside of us and we can all achieve greatness. This all brings me uh, to my next guest, who's a friend, he's a renowned author, and at times, my very own professional healthcare advocate. And the reason why I love him so much is he's actually a child psychiatrist, and I submit to all of you adults out there, you know down deep you're just a child in an overgrown aging body. We all need a little bit of love and advice and counsel uh, from child psychiatrists, and I'm welcoming now uh, the renowned author, president of the Child Mind Institute here in New York, Dr. Harold Koplowitz. Welcome to TMI. Good to be here, Anthony. It's always fun to be with you. I want to switch to and play a little bit of a game with you. I'm going to mention these names. It's a little bit of like a Rorschach's test. <laughs> I'm going to say the name. I'm going to get your reaction, and then I'm going to get your diagnosis sure. and your advice. Are you ready?
1: Go for it, President Hillary Clinton. Oh, smartest girl in the room. Is so that good I, or bad? I think that's a it's a mixed bag. I think that if we have President Hillary Clinton, we'll most probably have the most prepared human being in the White House. Uh, I think maybe since FDR or maybe Richard Nixon, we haven't had someone who has had this much experience entering uh, the White House at a time when the world seems to be a very, very scary and frightening so, place. But is
0: that preparation good, bad? Do you think that's a good idea? Like what is your advice for her as a <clears throat> child? So, a so so I'm of the opinion that all of us, including our potential presidents, need a child psychologist. So what is the he, advice so Hillary, you so Hillary, would give, so
1: give I, her? So I actually know Hillary, and Hillary would agree with you. So years ago when Hillary was uh, <laughs> a senator and I was – I was not there to see her. I was walking down uh, the Senate uh, hallway to go see someone else to push them about children's mental health. Hillary actually said to me, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm looking for money and for influence. She said, this is not going to be an easy trip. And she invited me into her office. And she said, you know, I think I have a job for you. I think you should be the child psychiatrist for my office. Sort of like the shrink on the
0: uh, eight, uh, the Showtime series, Billion.
1: You know, yes. Come in right. There and- so years later, I see her again and she's secretary of state. And she says, you now remember how I told you you should have been the secret- the psychiatrist for my office and then I told you we should have a psychiatrist for the Senate I actually think a child psychiatrist for the world wouldn't the be United a Nations. wouldn't be a bad place she said I'm afraid to tell you she said how childish at times the conversations get yeah. So um, so I would tell you my advice for Hillary is that it's it's interesting certain people are not good candidates So the Hillary Clinton that I know is warm and is smart And at times, the Hillary Clinton I see on the uh, stump seems to be shrill and angry and strident, which is so... Dis- discombobulating and disconcerting. I, I, and I think it's the environment. I think she said mm-hmm. this recently. I'm not a natural like Obama and Clinton or Reagan. There are certain people who the crowd doesn't... Look, Donald, we'll, we'll get to the next one. I'm sure it's going to be Donald Trump about assets I, and... I was going with Sanders. Go I wanted to go to go the ahead. communists go, first go, go, go. before go. I got to the... Oh, uh, that's it. let's yeah, do Bernie.
0: So, so, but, but, but I, I just want to add something because yeah. I do a lot of television. And, and I would say to you that the lights, the cameras... Uh, the imposition and the self-consciousness that there are eyeballs out there that you can't see that are watching you. Something happens to a certain group of people. I can remember watching an interview of Reagan in the mid-70s. They were doing a documentary. So it was him in the mid-1970s before he ran against General Ford. He looked over at the camera and he said, you see that device over there? For my entire life, that camera has loved me. And I have treated that camera as a dear friend. I thought it was a remarkable a thing. gift. I thought it was a remarkable thing for him to say. Right. And then I've run into other <clears throat> people, and we both could do that raw, short test. I could name a candidate. You could tell me if that's a retail politician or not a retail politician. And it has to do with that self-consciousness that they feel, uh, which gives the viewer or the potential voter uh, a feeling of lack of authenticity, which, in fact, it may not be the case. Correct. It's just their – issue with
1: the self-consciousness. I think for anyone who's older, who's listening, they'll remember the Nixon-Kennedy debate. Sure. Television first came in, and Nixon actually said, I don't need makeup. And it was not only the makeup and the sweating that he was doing, but it was that... John Kennedy was not only good looking, he, the camera loved him. And when he talked to the camera, first of all, everyone had this feeling of, oh, that could be my dad. You know, th- there's this youthful energy coming across. And unfortunately, since that moment, uh, television and how we come across, and I think the candidates today have a much tougher time because it's 24-7. They're on again. I don't know where they get this energy from, that they're hopping around here and there, and they're constantly, they're constantly being watched. I want to just interject with a historical anecdote quickly. And
0: so Don Hewitt, who ultimately became the producer for 60 Minutes, was producing that debate. It was in Chicago. Uh, Nixon arrived in the morning. He had something wrong with his leg. He was always dealing with phlebitis. He had injured his leg coming out of the the limousine, and he had developed an infection, so he had a low-grade fever. Uh, John Kennedy, uh, when he arrived at the hotel, he went straight upstairs. This is in Robert Dalek's book, The Unfinished Life. He went right upstairs, he got himself a mirror, and he burnt his skin with a beautiful suntan. When they went to the studio, they were measuring the temperature of the studio, the lighting, the gradation of the cameras. Uh, they asked Kennedy first, Do you want makeup? There he was with this bronze, beautiful suntan. I'm good, I don't need makeup. There was Nixon already pale from the low-grade fever and taking the antibiotics. Do you want makeup, candidate Nixon? He said no. In his memoirs he wrote, the reason I said no, I didn't want the story the next day to be, you know, we'll see, Nixon takes makeup, and uh, Adonis Kennedy does not. And so he didn't take the makeup. He was sweating, and we both know the famous story that people that watch the debate— thought for certain that Kennedy won. And people that heard it on the radio, they sort of gave the nod to Nixon. And so there's an image element to all the things we do, but especially in presidential politics. Let's talk about President Bernie Sanders.
1: This is a a phenomenon. You know, as much as people keep talking about Trump, think about it. What Sanders has done, his messaging, his ability to engage a group of Americans who feel disengaged, and disenfranchised, and I think we should worry about that. By the way, I think the fact that Trump and Sanders have gotten millions of people to vote for them means that there is a group of people in America who feel they have been left behind. What I find amazing about Sanders is that he's raising this money, uh, ten dollars, twenty dollars at a time, and he's getting quite a bit of money—forty million dollars in some in some months—that are really amazing. So. I think that you know. I think Sanders is a very sincere, uh, very decent human being. I don't know if he's a great politician. How do you like that? Now I change my mind because it's hard to think about what he's accomplished in all those years in the Senate. But he's most probably a very, very um, idealistic guy because you know he's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He's an independent. Um, What I worry about is that has the environment changed him? So. And it might be impossible that it didn't, that if all of a sudden people are telling you you're a god, um, you start to believe that maybe you are the Messiah. And even though it might be time to go home (laughs) and maybe it's time to reflect on what's more practical, if you really care about who's going to be elected, um, you would change your behavior. And I think that's going to be very hard. I also think it's going to be very hard for a very real, very simple man. Did you see he was making $200,000 a year? compared to the other candidates. Uh, about a half of a Hillary Clinton speech. Right, or, and, and, and uh, Mitt Romney and, and the billions of dollars that Mr. Trump says he has. Um, it's going to be hard, I think, to step back. I think that all of a sudden the spotlight leaves. I would worry, is this man going to have some real challenge now going back to being immortal? It's interesting because in, in 2003, the Harvard Business Review wrote
0: a article called The Harder They Fall, and it talked about people... And it was basically the Icarus syndrome. You get this bright boldness because of your success and then you start to feel infallible or you get intoxicated by the obsequiousness around you. And so every portfolio manager at Skybridge is forced to read that uh, upon entry into our organization. Let's keep going here. What about President Ted Cruz?
1: So it's, it's really interesting. Um, you can't see me twitching, well, by no, the way, no, out no. there in the no, audience. No, no. What's very hard... What's very hard to understand is how, um, how he has many people who now are behind him. But it's hard to understand what he does that pisses people off so much. Do You know, somebody, um, you know, John Boehner, really has negative things to say. Someone said, oh, it's the, he's the thing that he's accomplished. He's got 99 senators to agree on something, that they dislike him. Um, but I think that the one thing that someone looks at and says, this guy has devotion, he is he believes in something and you can't sway him now, is that pragmatic? Is that going to work in running a country? Is that, you know, when you think of Reagan and Clinton, you think about deal makers and you think about people who were able to schmooze and, and give a little bit and take a little bit. Um, but there is a rigidity about him. Uh, and I think sometimes self-righteousness, you know, that he knows best and that the rest of us don't know. If we don't agree with him, then we know less. And that makes him less likable. Do you mean? And and. It, and so he, he's trying very and I think there's a. He's certainly smart. I mean, he went to Princeton and he went to Harvard Law School also. I mean, this is a smart guy. Don't hold that against yeah. the rest of us <laughs> that went to Harvard Law School. No, no, but there's something about him that feels preachy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think people have trouble with that. Okay, let's move on. Oh, so are we doing case No, we're
0: at President Donald J. Trump. Oh, we've, left, we've left John we out. assume okay. that John is off the uh, <laughs> reservation. So, let, so let's just leave in John time.
1: in just for one second because I have an advertisement. And my advertisement is that I'm concerned about children's mental health, right? There's 17 million kids in America who have these disorders. It's the most common set of illnesses that any kid has. You know, there's 7 million with asthma, 7 million with peanut allergy. This is 17 million. You know, there are 11,500 of cancer. And we think about St. Jude's and how important it is. These kids are really left uh, neglected and at risk for lots of things. John Kasich is doing something that I think is very bold. He talks about his brother. He talks about the fact that he went against the political establishment in Ohio and bought into Obamacare because it expanded mental health services for citizens in Ohio. And he did it because he was personally affected by watching his brother literally deteriorate with depression and now schizoaffective disorder. And I think it's bold. I think it means that he's a man of Courage. He's a man of integrity. That he exposed himself by saying, "I have someone who's psychiatrically ill in my family, and I care about other people's brothers and sisters." I, I, I like so him I, a great
0: deal as a person. I just
1: talking about the viability of the right, candidacy, right, and, and I respect I, what he's done in, uh, uh, in the state of Ohio. And I like when people are willing to buck, buck the t- you know buck the trend. But let's do President Trump. <laughs> boy, oh boy. So talk about somebody who. Um, is really leading with his strength and is doing something that um, he loves. And Donald Trump loves the camera as much as the camera loves him. And um, in a day and age where there's 24-7 campaigning and um, we seem to have the people repeating uh, people's statements again and again and again, I think being a reality television star prepares you for that. There is something about Mr. Trump, though, that worries us. And that is... That there are times where he behaves in a way that seems childish and that you seem to insult him. So when it bothers me that if Megyn Kelly asks him a question, he doesn't say that's a challenging question or that question was too hard. He said, she's not being nice to me. And that's something that, you know, we talk to our 10-year-olds about or 12-year-olds and say, not everyone's going to be nice to you and there are going to be hard questions and don't take it personally. It's just the question. And what disturbs me about uh, his style at times is that if you aren't nice to him or if you don't agree with him, there is this black and white kind of quality and that's that's worrisome, I have to tell you. Um, So, you know... Uh, and da- uh, David Brooks in The Times called said he has a narcissistic personality disorder. Well, certainly there are narcissistic traits here, and I'm not going to diagnose someone who I've never met, but um, I think someone has to have a very thick skin. you know so if we're going to talk about who's going to be the president, not only do you have to be really well prepared, I think you have to know what you don't know. That's really important for success. But you also have to have a thick skin. Um, I remember distinctly when Newt Gingrich um, or a family member of his called uh, Mrs. Clinton, the first lady at the time, a very derogatory name. And, you know, they worked around it. It, it. rhymed with witch. I remember Right, it. right. Yep. And, you know, so be it. It's a name. Let's move on. Are we going to get health care? Are we going to get a balanced yeah, well, budget? I'm
0: going to defend candidate Trump for a second because I think this is a tactic of his. And you're the psychologist and I'm not. But I I look at this as a street smart tactic because I think he has found in his life when someone is coming at him, Rosie O'Donnell, and they hit him with a 22 caliber gun, if he turns a howitzer on them, he obliterates them and he puts them in his mind, their place, and then it sends a message to other people that they can't mess with him. Right. Moreover, I think it was a tactic and a strategic tactic as it related to the 17 people that were on that stage. Now, I'll I'll give you some insight because I think this is interesting. Uh, Here's a guy that uh, made a decision not to go to a debate. He lost in Iowa, or at least came in second in Iowa, uh, and he went directly on the attack the day after Iowa. His advisors, perhaps some of his family members, said, hey, be gracious to Ted Cruz. Let's move into New Hampshire. But he has very good street fighting instincts. By going on the attack and describing the Ted Cruz win as a hijacking or a burglary and that he had done something dishonest to Dr. Carson – uh, he was able to switch the narrative from a media perspective for the five days of campaigning in New Hampshire to the idea that candidate Cruz may have stolen the election in Iowa, as opposed to going in the gracious route where people would have been more focused on the issues. And so for me, you know, I'm sort of taking a second derivative analysis of this thing. I think the guy's been incredibly smart
1: uh, oh, in so terms wait, of how he's handled himself. So we're, we're not talking about smart. Because if we're talking about smart, the statistical chances of Donald Trump becoming the Republican uh, nominee with out of a field of 17, including some people who have served as governors successfully in their states, mm-hmm. um, were very, very low. And now he's going to be the Republican nominee. And I would be surprised if Hillary Clinton's camp, because it looks like she's going to be the nominee, aren't taking him very seriously. Because... Uh, we're not talking about his psychiatric symptoms and we're not talking about his qualifications for being president. What you're talking about is his style and whether or not it's working or not. And. I think that this is going to be a very tough campaign. Um, I don't think it's necessarily good for America because I think what Mr. Trump does and people say this is that he says things that sometimes he says things that we're all thinking about. I don't think we're all thinking about it and I think that sometimes we think about things that are private thoughts that we know, if we said them out loud, would be very hurtful, and would be divisive, and wouldn't serve a purpose, and would just hurt feelings, and it wouldn't accomplish anything in the long run. Now, maybe in the short run, we'd win, uh, we'd win a battle, and that's what worries me: is that he will, his style, you know, he keeps saying he's going to become presidential. It's kind of like, are you serious? Are what is presidential? Are you, we like authentic. And if this is the authentic Donald Trump, I don't think he's going to change. But what worries me is that it's going to change the way we do discussions about different ideas um, when we pick our president. I don't think well, that's necessarily well, I, good. I, I, well, listen, I think you bring up a good point that at the end of the day, the leader of a
0: country, uh, not to overly use Italian expressions, but the fish sort of stinks from the head down. And so uh, the leader can sometimes Project a certain image that gets carried through the country, and so uh, I see that. But listen, I'll make you a gentleman's bet. I think he beats candidate Clinton in
1: the presidential election. Okay, we're shaking hands here on, on our podcast, okay, and Let's, I and I and I think that we're going to have President Clinton. And I can also tell you that whoever wins should make a donation to the Child Mind Institute. All right, well
0: there you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll ask I'll ask the Donald to do that, and he is a very generous guy. What? What does the Child
1: Mind Institute do? I think the best way to think about this is Most people in America know St. Jude's Children's Hospital. 63 years ago, Danny Thomas started a hospital that wanted to eliminate childhood cancer and has done a remarkable job of making pediatric leukemia now something that very few kids die from. And when I was a kid, 94 out of 100 kids died. And we think that it's necessary to tackle psychiatric and learning disorders. And as I said to you before, 17 million kids have these disorders, 18 and younger. Uh, Number one, by the way, the number one group, 31% of the 17 million have an anxiety disorder, either OCD or generalized anxiety or separation anxiety. And these disorders are not only bad for your life, because if you're afraid to sleep away from home or you can't go to school in the morning, or if you're vomiting all the time before tests, it, certainly it impairs your life, it's bad for your brain. And we know that 75% of all psychiatric illness shows up before the age of 24 and 50% before the age of 14. Remember the brain stuff we were talking about. So the chaman Institute is dedicated to trans- transforming the lives of these kids. And we do it three ways. We do it one way that we see kids there. I think we have a gold standard clinical program where we've seen over 5,500 families from 43 states and 29 nations in the last five years. But I think more importantly, what we're doing is we're trying to do science. We're trying to find a biological marker in the brain of a kid with one disorder versus another disorder. I think it's not enough to say, oh, this is the brain of a kid who's healthy, and this is a kid of a brain who who a- is atypical. That's not enough. You need to do atypical to atypical to atypical, meaning that if you start to cough and I start to cough, you may have a bacterial infection that gets penicillin. I'm coughing and I have a virus. Well, we could do a blood test and we know I get rest and tea, you get penicillin. And we need to do that for these kids because left untreated, they are more likely to drop out of school. They're more likely to go to jail. They're more likely to get pregnant. It's Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, this is bad news. 5,000 kids will kill themselves between 14 and 24 this year. 600,000 will show up in an emergency room after a serious attempt. Oh, it's just bad. Well, what and, I, I
0: greatly appreciate about you is that you came out to our Salt Conference uh, over the last couple of years. And I address this with many of the uh, delegates that came out there as well. So we want to continue to help you raise awareness of these issues. Well,
1: I was going to tell you the thing that could transform the world today before we find that biomarker is I think we need to get parents of 10-year-olds and older to get better informed about their kids. And that will be good for their kids' mental health because I would tell you that the average parent – Knows when something's wrong. Okay, so how can we do that, doc? Well, I was going to say that I think they need to come to ChildMind.org. They have to, if they're worried, there's a symptom checker. They don't have to go to a doctor's office. F- spend 30 minutes. It's free. And you know that it's solid information. We don't take money from the pharmaceutical industry, from guns, from liquor, from tobacco. It's scientifically sound. And therefore, if you really are worried, then you could take that report to your pediatrician. And we even have a guide for the 10 questions you should ask your pediatrician. And if you find yourself in front of a mental Mental health professional, and you are lost. You are so anxious. You never thought you'd have to be sitting in front of some kind of mental health doctor. Then we have ten questions that you should ask them, because I find it fascinating that parents are so overwhelmed that they don't ask the doctor. By the way, how many times have you seen a kid with this disorder? What happens if I don't do anything? What happens if I take a pill? What happens if we do talk therapy? How long will it take? You'd ask more questions of man redoing your bathroom than you do of a per- person who's about to take care of your kid's head, and I. I think that we need to become more mentally health literate. You know, The the Duchess of Cambridge has just started with Prince William and Prince Harry a whole program in England about children's mental health. The the Duchess of of Cambridge is going to be the Queen of England someday. She came out and she said, I hope that someday if George or Charlotte are worried about something, are are troubled, that they'll feel comfortable going to see a psychiatrist. It's that kind of openness. reducing the stigma. Yeah, that mental health is equal to physical health. It's all one and the same. Your brain is one of the organs of your body. A well, ter- terrific way to end this. I want to thank you, Dr. Harold Koplowitz, for the great work that you're doing,
0: and uh, also I want to encourage people to log on to www.childmind.org. Go get that information, Harold.
1: What's your Twitter handle? Do you have one? I do don't and don't show a sign of your age I, my let's, let's age it. oh it's at childmind.org and one at Dr. Koplowitz. obviously I have a ghost Twitter <laughs> someone is tweeting for me <laughs> we just blew you up uh, just so you guys know out there
0: Harold Koplowitz is not a millennial and it's a really good segue to introduce Bobby Valentine who's one of my closest friends since we're talking about success and failure and the ability to power through fears there's no better guess than a former L.A. Dodger, Angel, Mariner, and New York Mets. He's a former MLB manager. He's one of the greatest, I might add. The Mets are gonna be upset with me for saying this, but he took a, a team in the year 2000 with a triple-A outfield. Boy, those guys are really gonna be mad at me for saying that, but <laughs> the truth is, it was a triple-A outfield. His we got to the World Series, won the National League pennant, and but for a, a, a few snafus, we were close in there with the New York Yankees in the year 2000. Uh, Bobby is presently the athletic director at Sacred Heart University. And so, Bobby, welcome to TMI. Thanks, Mooch. Great being with you. Bobby,
2: how would you change baseball today? I love the game. I think it's a great game, but I think it needs more uh, flair. It needs more uh, action. It needs more um, back to the future type of thing. And The game of baseball itself is great, as you mentioned in an earlier podcast, um, because of the individual performance against the team. But it's even greater when you think that it's a game that's being played nine against nine for nine, but it's also the game within the game, the pitcher and the hitter. And that's the game that we need to exploit. That's the game that we need to show the world is the wonderfulness of the game. So how will we do that? That's a one-on-one competition. You go WWE and roll it on out. It's Bryce Harper against Mad Harvey. The predictability of the occurrence in baseball is not like any other major sport. You know, that Bryce Harper is going to come to the plate, and you know if Mark Matt Harvey starts the game, he's going to be facing Matt Harvey. You don't know that in any other sport, unless you get to tennis, you right. know, and and play that. But in yeah, so, the four so majors, in football, you don't know who Tom Brady's going to throw the ball to, and if in he's basketball, you
0: don't know if Kobe's going to shoot, and you don't know who's going to guard him.
2: ball, who's going to guard him, and right. you don't know right. when the shot on goal is going to occur. Right, right. but in baseball, you know. And these people, what we built our entire game on was the idea that hitting a baseball is the most difficult thing to do in sport. You've heard it all of your life. Yet the powers to be in baseball decide when you do that impossible feat and you catch this 100 mile an hour fastball, you hit it 450 feet, you're supposed to make like it's an everyday occurrence. No, you're supposed to do cartwheels. You're supposed to jump up and down because you just did something that is almost impossible to do.
0: Enhance the drama, but the culture is the opposite. So if somebody's showboating a whole month, you're getting blazed with a a fastball. It's a crazy
2: concept. Just think about it for a second. Someone's showboating. That means they jumped up and down, they were excited about what they did. The consequence for that in this justice of baseball is you take a hard object, you propel it in his direction, try to kill him. I don't get it. I don't think it's equal equal punishment for the crime. Yeah. If the guy was jumping up and down, then when you strike him out the next time he comes up, it's your turn to jump up and down. Okay? And that's, if you if you get into the culture of the under 13-year-old, the kid who's on the phone all day and on the computer, he's YouTubing the home run that Batista hit and threw his bat. And then he's going out into the backyard and he's mimicking it. He's going
0: to the top 10 list on ESPN. the Baseball list, baseball tonight. And
2: that's what they're emulating. But we don't we don't want so to have that. Let me ask so we you, need to so do let, that let's, to change the let's game. Let's segue because
0: I think there's yeah. a couple of players that are yeah. right on your bandwagon. Yeah. One of them is Bryce, Bryce Harper. Harper. Yes. So tell us
2: about Bryce, your opinion of him, and who are some of the other players out there that you like? Well, I, I love Bryce Harper, and I love his style. I love I think he's exactly right in where he's coming from, that we need to celebrate more. We need to have our, the kids of today – want to see something special happen. Maybe what we do, Mooch, is we just have two designated players a game who could celebrate or do something out of the ordinary that didn't look so like tie-cut. They get the buy. Huh? They get the buy. Right. right, you can right. do anything you no, want. They, get, they, they can do a cartwheel on the way to first base on a home run. No one, no one can blaze a fastball. Yes, ball. and when they're coming up in the ninth, everyone's going to go to the TV to see the, the at-bat, you know. I think we need to do a little of that stuff just because we can. And at the end of the day, it is the American pastime, but it's only a game. So games are supposed to be entertaining and listen to the masses when they say, we're not really entertained right now. What
0: do you think, you know gonna ask you the legacy question so what do you think your legacy is going to be my legacy and I know you still got your you, big still, mouth yeah we're still we're <laughs> in the fifth inning on you because yeah. I know you got you got a lot of energy in that yeah, system yeah. of yours. so what's the legacy
2: well and, and the let's legacy put the big small, mouth aside sure. for a
0: second because I I definitely would say that you've been expressive <laughs> uh, your fans would say <laughs> you've been honest okay yeah, yeah. and your detractors would say that you, they would like you not to abre right. la boca,
2: okay? <laughs> A little too uh, big. And yet. so
0: you know that's probably why you and I are pals because we're probably <laughs> yeah.
2: in the same boat that way. And you know what my mother used to say, Bobby, do you always have to open your mouth? Right. From right. the time I was three. Right. So what? Is it going to change? Well, the, no, it's not, not going best, to change. One of the best. One of your best lines, <laughs> and I still
0: remember this, and Dougie Rowe and I still talk about it. It was, you were, you were managing for the Red Sox. Someone asked you a question, and you said, you know, that should really be off the record, and I shouldn't answer that question, but I'm not an
2: off-the-record sign of guy. <laughs> and then you I'm preceded, not an off-the-record then,
0: of then you proceeded to answer the question.
2: Yeah, yeah. Love that about you. Yeah, well, I, I don't mind doing that, and again, that's what Bryce and some other players. When you say, who are the good players, I think... Uh, there's there's you? a wealth of talent right now under 27 years old, and they should they should be the new generation. But let them be the new generation. Don't let them just be the old generation in 2015, 16, and 17. What do you think the f- let them be new. What do you think the future is of the performance-enhancing drugs? Oh, they're going to be here to stay. Um, you know, there's— so basically we will
0: eventually legalize them.
2: Well, I think life will. I think that— that so, the show limit list. so the show
0: limitless with Bradley Cooper, the idea that you can take a pill that'll give you better retention or more physical acuity, yeah. that'll become part of our standard life. I believe There's that. an integration of the chemistry from the outside forces that we're going to put on the inside yes. that will become standardized, not only in baseball, but the rest the of the civilization. Exactly. Yeah, well, the guys yeah. out in uh, Palo Alto and Silicon Valley certainly believe that. No, so I totally believe that. So you think we're it. five years from that, 25 years from that, what do you well, think?
2: You well, know? it just depends on where they go with the, uh, the advancements. I don't think it has to be the advancements of the body so you grow and look different. I think it's the advancements of the mind, mm-hmm. and in particular of the eyes and what they see, because you only play the game with your eyes. Mm-hmm. You can play with every other handicap, but when you're blind, you can't play this grand game of baseball, okay? And that's the name of the game. And the advancements that we have to make are in in reaction and timing and recognition so that everyone sees what's going on. They understand the pitch, you know, which is that mystery. (laughs) I want
0: to thank Bobby V for joining us today on TMI. Whether you have figured out how to fail easily, remember to embrace and learn from it. We are all here on this earth to make our very own mark, and we decide what that mark is. I hope that this has given you a little bit of insight into that today. Uh, Remember to email me or our team at podcast at skybridgeinsights.com. You can follow me on Twitter at at Scaramucci. Bobby, what's your handle on Twitter? at, At Bobby Valentine. At Bobby Valentine. Until next time, have a prosperous week
2: guitar solo